This week, I'm joined by Gabe Joseph. In addition to being a standout professional player on tour, Gabe is a tennis and pickleball pro at Calabasas Tennis and Swim Center. Here in part one of two, we talk about growing up in the valley, coaching, his new paddle sponsor, singles versus doubles, and some of the realities of playing professional pickleball. Part two will be out next week. I'm Josh Walker, and this is SoCal Pickleball Stories. All right, Gabe, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, dude. I'm I was telling you before we got here, I'm so hyped. I haven't done a podcast in a minute, so you're going to get all the all the pod pod jitters out of me. Love it. Let's get after it. So, where'd you grow up? So, I grew up in uh, West Hills, California, and um, I always tell this, but funny enough, so my mom's Colombian, and at the time, I was born 97. West Hills Hospital is actually called Columbia Hospital, but it wasn't spelled the same. How old were you when you started playing sports? I would say about five, five and a half. I started playing tennis. I was hooping. I was playing basketball, tennis, a little bit of paddle tennis and uh, and baseball, all kind of all at the same time. I remember my dad was, was juggling all three for me. But yeah, five, just grinding at the park with pops, playing tennis. So he got you into tennis? He got me into everything. You know, growing up in the Valley, we had a hoop in the driveway. And it's so funny, man. I mean, you have kids, but even back in my day, we're talking early early 2000s like we had PlayStation and I you know I loved video gaming it up but I was still a kid like I loved to be outside you know I was either hooping when I was home or dad and I would play um we would literally play catch or I want to kind of paint it for you. We would literally go in the middle of the street. He would take the baseball bat with regular hard balls and just hit me fly balls. And I mean, there's cars parked on the side of the of the street, you know, like regular residential. And I'm like, dad, like, you know, you're going to hit a car, dude. And he was pretty good at baseball himself. Like, I think he had um, scholarship to play college. Yeah, that was literally my life, dude. And um, we would play tennis and kind of what molded me now to the person I am. Like, um, I would hang out with kind of all his friends who played tennis. You know, he would have guys night, you know, they're playing poker, smoking cigars, you know, drinking some beers, you know, we're watching the game, playing tennis, like that was kind of the, the crowd. Oh, that, that's the best, man. That's what I'm trying to do with my kids, get them out there, get them outside, introduce them to stuff, you know, in the fresh air and just make memories. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, you have kids and I kind of want to flip it to you. Like, how, how do you do that as a father nowadays? Because I feel like with technology and stuff like, you know, whether you go to airport or a kid's watching their sibling take a tennis lesson, they're all hooked on the phone. So like, how do you how do you kind of manage that? We don't do it in public. If we go to a restaurant, no phones, no iPads. There's definitely a place for it. Like in our house, we have three kids. So there's a time where the two older ones are on their iPads and we're doing something with the younger one. You know, they watch TV to unwind. They're at school all day, do homework. They're both involved in sports though. So that's like a big thing for us, playing outside, doing sports. Moderation, I think for us, that's how we deal with it. Now the million dollar question, what sports and do they play pickleball yet? So I have a portable net I set up in the driveway and I can dink with my two older ones, uh, Sadie and Marlo. They're actually getting pretty good. We can, you know, sustain a rally. Okay. Uh, but Marlo plays soccer and softball and Sadie is a gymnast. Oh, nice. Okay. And then you're going to get your third, your youngest one, boy? Girl, three girls. Oh, you got three girls. Yeah. Oh, full girl dad. You know, that means you were a player in your past life. I've been told that, yeah. <laughs> but they always say if your first one is a girl, that means you're a player in your past life. But you got three, so you must have been a pimp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, yeah, they're going to be stoked to hear themselves on the pod for sure. That's awesome. I mean, I'm still young, but when I do have 
have a kid, like obviously I want him to be up and active so we can do, you know, father son activities, but I think is, is really what I look forward to. Yeah. Memories also sports instills a sense of pride, accomplishment, hard work, discipline, all that kind of stuff. 1000%. And, and to co-sign your point, I think that, and I've said this before, I think kind of who you are and how you carry yourself on the court says a lot about who you are off the court. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you can see with pickle, I mean, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but like someone who cheats and makes bad line calls or is kind of quick to, to not give, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, kind of be like courteous or, yeah, sportsmanship. Or, yeah, sportsmanship, you know, kind of says a lot about who they are off the court as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's that quote is how you do anything is how you do everything. I love that. I know tennis is big in your background. So you started at five and then sort of take us through the progression there. I mean, it's pretty typical. I was just, I was five. We were playing, you know, just kind of, I would call us weekend warriors. You know, we play my, you know, my dad was an attorney. So when he, we, he would get home from work, I'd, you know, be bugging him. Can we go to the park and play? He would take me to play. We would just drill, hit. You know, I think I started playing tournaments. I don't know. I was maybe eight or nine, probably played until I was like 13. I think about once I hit like eighth grade, I was going into high school. I I was pretty decent. You know, I don't know, maybe top 50 in like SoCal, top 100. I remember though, kind of, I think it was like seventh grade going into eighth. I was getting a little phased out. I remember I'd lost a couple tournaments. You know, my dad was my coach. I actually didn't get a coach until I believe sixth grade. You know, my dad was my coach my whole life. So, and being an only child, you know, those were, those were long, rough ride homes, you know, and I would say I was pretty coachable and, and would listen to him. But, you know, as any kid hearing it, not only from your dad, it stings and, you know, you don't want to hear like, you know, what you did wrong also, right? you know, it's hard to take constructive criticism. Now, looking back as an adult, he was doing what was best for me and trying to help me, obviously. You know, I think sometimes it's kind of that double-edged sword when you have a parent who's involved. I don't want to say too much, but sometimes when you're hearing it from that person, as opposed to like a coach or an outside, it just, it hits a little different. Yeah. I remember I was, so I got a little burnt out and then, um, you know, and like I said earlier, I was playing basketball and baseball still at the same time. So I would literally play, what was it? Basketball, like winter, play baseball in the spring. And then I'm still playing tennis year round. And then when I was going into high school, I remember I tried out for the high school team. I, I was obviously going to make it. My buddy who was the number one, uh, my buddy Jaime, he's one of my best friends. We were kind of similar level. I kind of fell in love with the game again. And then same thing. I played on the high school basketball team during the, what was that? The fall. And then I would play tennis in the spring. I had a couple college scholarships to play. You know, me being so stubborn, I remember this was junior year and I was kind of like, okay, I got to figure out where I want to go for school. I was so set in stone on, I didn't want to leave LA, you know, being, like I said earlier, raised in West Hills, like you're just so spoiled. The weather's beautiful. This is my home. Yeah, it doesn't get much better. No, and I traveled, you know, quite a bit. Like I'd been to Florida, Columbia, but you know, I'm talking not even international. Like I'd been to Vegas. I was like, I just don't see myself anywhere else. I can't do the cold. I love the heat and warmth. So if anything, kind of you're just leaving Florida and like Arizona, maybe Texas. I was, you know, being stubborn. I was like, I don't want to play anything other than division one tennis. So really I was like, there's UCLA and USC if I want to stay in LA. And I wasn't good enough to play on those teams. You know, I'm just being honest. So I just decided I'm just going to go to Cal State Northridge and, um, I graduated from there in 2020. I studied family consumer sciences with the option in nutrition and dietetics. That was kind of it. I mean, looking back, if I could change anything, I 
I would have just taken, I had an offer to play at Cal Lutheran, which was a D3 school in, uh, I think that's what, Thousand Oaks or Westlake. I think I would have just went with with that. You know, it is what it is and everything still, in my opinion, I guess worked out, you know, that's no regrets, right? Yeah, so no tennis at CSUN then? No, they don't have a boys team. I'm, everyone knows around here, I believe in like 2003, they had like Title IX funding and out of all the programs they chose to cut, they chose boys tennis to cut. So that was a little unfortunate. And also, you know, to backtrack a little bit, I didn't want to do like the JUCO route or anything. So I was like, either I'm going to play at Kalu or I'm just going to go to CSUN and study. And that's kind of what I ultimately chose. And, um, you know, honestly, you know, it's a sidetrack from the pod a little bit, but I also didn't really have the best college experience because I was commuting and then I was also still, still working at the time too. So it was literally, it was like high school 2.0. It was like, go to school, come home or, and then go to work. You know, that's why I was like, if I could do it back, I probably would have gone to Kalu, had at least some tennis experience and I love a team atmosphere. So I think I would have thrived really well in that as well. Yeah, just is what it is. Yeah. So right now you're the head pickleball pro and a tennis pro at the Calabasas Tennis and Swim Club? Um, yeah, I don't actually have that title, but I would like to think that. <laughs> um, but yes, I, I'm the pickleball and one of the tennis pros at Calabasas. Yeah, I started working there. It's funny, during COVID, I just graduated from school. This was May of 2020. And um, this was like the heart of COVID. And you live in LA, so we were on like lockdown. All the tennis courts were closed, like not not even just country clubs. Parks were closed. My buddy who lives in Calabasas Park Estates, they'd locked even the gated community courts. There was really nowhere to play. So I got lucky. Um, one of my good buddies, Steve Haru, had a house in Hidden Hills. He was just throwing together kind of a Tuesday night boys, you know, night out. So we would play tennis and um, it was like seven of us. And then after we would have like pizza and beer and just shoot the shit. The director of the, uh, I'm sorry, the owner of the academy at Calabasas where I teach, um, his name's Steve McAvoy. He was um, he was kind of leading the clinic. It was like a guy's clinic. So he was feeding it and then we would all hang out. We were, we were all still friends and he kind of just pulled me to the side and he's like, hey dude, like, you know, hopefully the club's going to open up soon. What do you got going on this summer? And I'm like, honestly, dude, I just graduated from school. I have kind of nothing lined up. He's like, well, dude, come work for me for summer. And then slowly but surely I just kind of got, I was doing summer camp, you know, five days a week, getting a few lessons here and there. You know, it's funny, pickleball wasn't that big in the Valley, especially where we are in, in the West side of the Valley, but uh, it picked up, I would say kind of like summer 2020, really picked up 2021. And now it's kind of like, I would say booming to an extent where like I'm pretty booked up, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of my title and I've just been stuck there since. Yeah. How did you keep your tennis skills up during college? Um, you know, it's funny, man, like a lot of people kind of, I feel like whether they play or don't play in college kind of get burnt out. Like I'm still one of those guys with any sport. I still love to play everything. Like I'm the guy who will do anything. I'm, I'm down for whatever. So I would still hit a lot just for, for leisure, you know, to play and just not only be active. I think it's very therapeutic. And some people know this, like I would even jog like six, seven miles a day since I was a kid, just, just kind of as a little mental cleanse, you know? So I still love tennis even now. Like I'll still hit with like friends just for fun. You know, obviously there's some days where I'm kind of burnt and I don't want to, but like if it's like a weekend or whatever, like I haven't seen my buddy in a minute, we'll hit, grab some food. Like, I still enjoy it. As funny as it sounds, even with tennis, like obviously I'm not going to be pro, like I still want to get better. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's kind of that like 
that urge. Absolutely. So you kind of touched on this a little bit. Everyone's heard in the pickleball world that it's the fastest growing sport in America. As a coach, you know, and a pro player, what does that look like to you? I know you said your lessons have gone up. Just what are you seeing, you know, on the ground? You know, what's funny, man. If I had to sum it up in one word, even just the game of pickleball, inclusivity. Anyone and everyone can play. Majority of the people I'm teaching are, you know, don't kill me is like kind of middle-aged housewives, but a lot of them have just no athletic background whatsoever, haven't touched any racket in their life. But, you know, a couple months with me, you know, playing some live ball, like they're they're killing it. They went from 0.0 to, you know, 3.0 in a couple months, you know, and, and people really, man, one thing I'll say since you were asking me is like, it's an addiction, dude. People love this game. It's crazy. I mean, some of my clients, dude, like I had one today. She was out there because I was teaching all day. She was there at like nine to 11. Then she came back like four to like six. And then she came back for open play like 630. And it's going to be till like 930. And what is it? What is it about pickleball? Like I said, man, it's so inclusive. You know, you can get Joe the plumber to play. And and I think it's one of those. Somebody said this to me the other day. It's one of those sports where you have a shot of becoming a pro and hanging with someone like myself. You know what I mean? One of the guys I actually train, he's trying to become a senior pro, my friend Darren. But think about it, dude. Where can a 50 something year old man get on a court, you know, in the same level playing field and remotely compete with me? It's just really not going to happen in any other sport unless, you know, golf, maybe, you know, like we're playing basketball. We're going to be way younger and athletic than him. You know, if we're playing even baseball, we're all going to be quicker, you know, faster hand eye. So I hope that kind of answered it. But just inclusivity, dude. And then these people just have the urge to to want to get better. That's why they love it. They play day in and day out. They're like junkies, bro. I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but I call them all my pickleball junkies. <laughs> yeah, no, I see it everywhere, too. I mean, I think it's a pretty common thing to get addicted to pickleball. Before we get into your competitive journey and your pro career so far, I want to talk a little bit about the amateur tournaments. Okay. There's so many. There, You know, there's tournaments every weekend. Uh, I just want to get your take on that. Why do you think that was so popular? And just your take on the amateur tournament circuit. Wow, I got a long, long answer to that one. But let me let me flip it to you. Like, why do you like playing playing these tournaments? I think it just adds just an extra layer, you know. Like I love rec play. I love getting a group of four and playing for a couple hours, getting it in, and then moving on. But you know, the tournaments, just like my last guest, Eric, said, like, they're grindy. And it's just really a way to test yourself mentally, physically. You know, for me, you know, maybe once a month, every other month. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great way for people to definitely, like, I was listening a little bit to to your boy Eric's pod, and it was like, he was saying how he drills like six hours a week and stuff, or, or that might have been you who said six hours a week. No, that was him. Okay. So, so what I'm saying is, I think it's a good way to definitely implement what you've been practicing and kind of display your, your showcase of skills. But what I I was kind of going to get to is also I feel like I feel kind of bad for the amateurs in a sense, like at these PPA tournaments, I don't think they're getting their just due. You know what I mean? And I feel like I I see it all over social media. Like sometimes I just got to get off because it's just too much. It's fluttered. You know, I think eventually these factions, they kind of need to like, you know, whether it's PPA, ABP, they need to figure out a situation where they're either going to have amateurs, whatever, days prior to the pros or something, because I feel like for the amateurs, because I've seen it firsthand, one thing that kind of bothered me for you guys as amateurs is that like I seen two guys literally have to get the balls and the clipboard and do it themselves. And I saw somebody post on Facebook. It was like, if you're signed up for a tournament and you have to do like the clipboard and get the balls and stuff, he's like, you're not playing a tournament. You're playing organized rec. And I'm like, that's such a true valid point because it's like, why are you guys paying 
whatever it is, 200 or whatever the number is, dollars to kind of do that. I just feel like that's not giving you guys your just due. You know what I mean? Like I said, though, you know, to answer your question, I think tournaments and the amateur tournaments are great to, to do it you know, what you've been practicing, get some gameplay in, because as you know, like for me, I feel like practice play, tournament play are two different games, in my opinion. It's a different type of intensity. And I was just having this conversation the other day, like I can literally train for three, four, six hours. I won't be a lick of tired or fatigued the next day. If I play singles, you know, a tournament, whatever, PPA, APP, I'll play six matches that next day. Like I'm feeling it. And it's not because I'm actually physically tired. It's like the anxiousness, the mental, like the grittiness, like your muscles are tight. You know, like I feel a different type of fatigue. Like I've been having hit the ice bass when I get home because I'm like, shit, you know, I feel a little sore, you know, but it's that mental edge because I feel like you're playing for something. It definitely gives me that like that grittiness and obviously that that feeling of wanting to win. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll come back to the pro versus amateur experience in, in a bit. I think you'll have more to say on that. But before we, we move on, just on the general topic of pickleball, what other opportunities in pickleball do you see as the sport grows aside from being a coach? You know, definitely like organization, you know, maybe these people becoming either agents or managing pros, you know, I just think, you know, on the coaching aspect, I think here's the thing. I don't want to catch too much flack for it. I think there's a lot of people who I don't want to say aren't like good players. A lot of these people, and I know them, are kind of just getting their certification and immediately think they can teach and charge, you know, excuse my friends, like a butt fuck, you know, and here's the thing. You don't have to be a pro to be a good coach. I'm not saying that, but also it's like, you kind of have to look in the mirror and then be like, well, am I teaching the right thing? Like, you know, are you really practicing what you preach? You know, I just think that, you know, these people are just kind of handing out the certifications and kind of not doing their homework, in my opinion. I'm not saying like I'm the best coach, but I definitely think I know what I'm doing. I think I'm good at it. And I've seen it firsthand from my clients, like I said, who have never played, you know, and then they become, I would say like on a, the some of my best ladies, I'm talking no athletic background. And I've probably made them into like a decent three, five, you know, and it's been, you know, probably two days a week of lessons for a year. But I would say like, I think I've done my job. You know, and I see some of these videos on YouTube and that's the beauty of, of this day and age. There's a lot of content out there, but then there's a lot of like, not so good stuff, you know, and, and a good example I would use is I've seen someone, they popped up on my suggested was like, the serve is just to get the point started. And I'm like, no, it's not. Do you play singles, bro? <laughs> like you want freebies. You want some bad returns. You want a short return. Like it's not just a point starter now like maybe in doubles it could be like I would I would never call it a point starter but yeah maybe I just kind of lollipop it in I wouldn't recommend it you know just little things like that and then people just saying like on the volleys like have the paddle just tilted to your backhand it's like you know I'm not going to say how I do it because I'm not going to just give out free game but I don't think that's correct you know there's just a few little nuances that I just think you know people aren't really preaching the right thing you know, I just let it be. And, and one thing about me, which I don't know if we'll get to, but even how I just carry myself on the pro circuit, like I just stay in my lane. I'm not buddy buddies with everybody. You know, I have a few friends on the tour, but I just like to do me, stay in my lane. I don't like to get in the way of people's business and, you know, and vice versa. I don't want anybody getting in the way of, of what I got going on. I can go on a big tangent. It's just, it's funny, man, to be honest. Like I literally sit back and like, ha ha. But one thing that does irk me and I'll end it at this is like, I've seen some people's like rates and stuff that what they're charging. And honestly, some of them are more than me. And I'm like, bro, like, I'm sorry. Like you might have a certification, but in my opinion, like you're not really qualified. That's not the distance. Cause you're thinking at the end of the day, I respect the hustle, you know, get it how you live. But then I also think that kind of dilutes the brand 
in, in my opinion. You know, like I said, man, I just I, I do my thing. So yeah, I'm not no, here. Absolutely. I'm not here to hate. <laughs> absolutely. So in your coaching, can you talk a little bit about just a common thread you're seeing in your lessons? Um, just anything that in general you're seeing with amateur players? A couple things that stand out to me, you know, just obviously I have some good clients. I don't make it sound like just my clients are like just housewives, you know, and like and no, lower level players. But in general, I would say so for those that don't know, I would say from like the three zero to four zero range, the most common thing I see is one, I'd say players speeding up the wrong ball. They might have especially and I'm talking more for doubles. You know, let's say a ball is kind of short mid court, but the ball is kind of dipping way below net level, a ball that's kind of unspeakable unspeedable, upable, that's a word. I don't know, I just made it up. But you know what I mean? A ball that should not be sped up. I would say that kind of like a fifth shot, kind of reset, stuff like that. Little, just little things. And I feel like, like I said, the people that don't have racket sport backgrounds, they just, they try speeding up the wrong balls. Sometimes this, and I mean this in a nice way, kind of a lack of discipline, you know, to kind of give you an example, like I do live ball and I don't know if if you've heard of it, but basically it's kind of like king of the court. Yeah, describe it a bit. So basically, oh man, I'm giving away the free free jewels here. But uh, basically, let's say, so you have six people, okay? So I have what's called the champ side. The champs are on the kitchen already on the on one side of the court. So they start at the kitchen and then you have two people at the baseline. So I'm feeding the whole time. So my first feed goes to the baseline team and they have the option to drop or drive, okay? So that's point one. Now, I'm gonna kind of sidetrack here. That's another thing. A lot of people don't wanna drop. You know, especially the lower level players, they want to just drive and smack the ball. It's fun. I get it. I'm guilty of it. If they win that point, they automatically come up to the kitchen and I feed them a dink and then they play it out from there. Whoever I feed it to has to hit a dink and then you can do whatever you want. You can speed it up, lob, do whatever you want. Then if they win that point, the third point I feed them and they're still all at the kitchen is a volley and then they get into a little firefight. If they win all three, they come over to the champ side. Now here's the catch. If you hit a clean winner at any point, you automatically come over. And meanwhile, I left this out. The champ side only has to win one point before the challengers win three. So let's say you and I are playing and we're playing Bob and Joe. If we hit a clean winner on the first point, we win. Let's say we lose the first point, we're automatically out, next team in, the two people waiting. You kind of follow me? Yep. Yeah, so it's constant, you know, there's not too much waiting around, and it's fun. And really, I kind of call it, I I know I call it the king of the court doubles, but it's really like simulated doubles, because really all we're doing is taking away serve and return, but everyone's working on transitioning, you're working from getting to the baseline to the kitchen, and the team at the kitchen, meaning the champ side, they're working on defending and keeping their ground, keeping the challengers back. Right. It really works on all aspects, and here's the thing, if you have you know, six players within the same level, it's a lot of fun. And I mean, you could have from 3-0 to whatever. You can even have pros doing it. It's a lot, a lot of fun. I stole it from Daniel Roditti. He did it down at uh, Laguna Niguel. We had like a 5-0 one. And I'm telling you, dude, even just playing it, it's it's so much fun. And you really do work on a lot of stuff. And it kind of exploits too, like how kind of trigger happy you are. Like, are you willing to play soft, slow points? Like one thing I've been trying to work on with my ladies is slowing it down a little bit. You know, especially when I feed that second point, that ding have a little dink rally and wait for opportunity. Like, is there a volley I can reach out with my wingspan at the kitchen line and speed it up? Or should I slow it down? You know, if the ball's high enough on a dink, speed it up. But little things like that. I love that. That sounds really fun. Yeah. So I do a couple baskets of that. So I do like the forehand side, then I do a backhand side. And then the third basket, I do something a little different. But yeah, man, it, it works on all aspects. 
you know, to make a short story long to your question, um, I would say little things like that, man, just speeding up the wrong balls, not willing to third shot drop a lot. And um, the one thing that kills me, dude, is the lobs. The lobs got to go. <laughs> no lobs. I mean, listen, everyone, like I said, can have their own way of teaching. I try to encourage people really not to lob. I think the most common thing is really you should only really be lobbing, in my opinion, is like, let's say we're all four at the kitchen and you're in like whatever, let's say 30 ball dink rally and you want to mix it up. Yeah throw it over, you know, but in my opinion, I say that's like a two out of a hundred shot. You should not be lobbying that much. Now I get it. Lower level people might not have the control and do it by accident. I mean, really, I, I almost never teach lob, um, but little things like that, man. And to your point earlier, I mean, there's just, you can literally work on drops and resets and so much stuff just in a lesson, like, and they have that continuing feeling of, I want to get better. So I want to keep working on this. But yeah, that's, that's some of the common things I see and obviously much more. Yeah. And so, you know, as the game has kind of sped up, yeah. Aggression has sort of taken over a bit. Uh, have you adjusted your coaching? Yeah. I mean, one thing I, I've been trying to teach them, not only shake and bake, but um, a lot of times I see, which I, it's funny, I've just been saying this in the last two weeks is, uh, I know we're on audio, but I'm trying to paint a picture where let's say it's, you know, you have two people at the kitchen and you have like the serving team, for instance, one person's kind of creeping in. If you and I are a team, you served, you're getting the third shot, right? So I'm kind of watching your third. I feel like a lot of people kind of stand there and watch. And I've been trying to encourage, you know, my clients that when you're kind of creeping in, if my partner or their partner hits a good drop, look to poach the next ball. Right. You know, don't just stand there. A lot of people are just kind of watching the game like a spectator, moving their head back and forth. And I'm like, dude, you're missing out on opportunity. Like if Josh hits a good drop, slide over and poach because if his ball's so low, all they can do is pop it up, then just go over, you know? And especially it's like, it's practice, bro. Just go for it. Like what's going to happen? But yeah, the game's gotten a lot faster. I always, you know, I mean, you've, you've taken a lesson or two with me. I always start my lessons off with a little dinking and always some volley to volley to kind of warm up the hand eye. But yeah, I've, the game is definitely sped up. And, you know, even though I'm not the doubles guy, I, I still peep game and, and try to implement, you know, kind of what the pros are doing and how the game's evolved. Yeah, I'm not sure, but you might get this a lot. I know a lot of my friends and just people out that I play with, especially that don't come from racket sport background, are trying to develop that double-handed backhand drive. Oh, yeah. And yours is sick. So, like, what can they do? Oh, man. Can I, on a side note, it's so funny, man. I want to say low-key, besides Riley, I feel like I kind of, like, patent two-handed backhand. I don't think I'll ever get, like, the recognition for it, but I kind of feel like I did. It's funny you asked me that because... I teach everyone I work with that are newbies. I always teach them a two-handed backhand. I just feel like one's a little too too erratic and kind of not very controllable for people just starting out. They're like, oh, I think it's like ping pong. And I'm like, eh, it's not. <laughs> so are you teaching that on the dink and the drive? Dink, I kind of let them do their thing. On the drops and drives, I always teach two-hander. I just feel like it's so much easier to maneuver with the left hand and it kind of stabilizes the paddle. The way I teach it, if they're righty assuming, I pretty much have their, their right hand in continental and if they want to slide it over to the left so the face is a little more closed, I kind of let them do that. And then I just put the left straight on top of your right hand. So pretty much your pinky is almost on top of your pointer finger. And then I kind of have your two fingers kind of pointing like a Nike check or I guess like a air gun, I guess. 
process kind of resting on the paddle. So that's kind of, I mean, I'll obviously I'll show them in person how to do it. Right. That's kind of how I do it. And I just kind of teach them, man, just step in and, you know, if we're doing a drive, just follow through and kind of honestly, bro, I just tell them like, dude, hit the shit out of the ball. Yeah. Not actually, but you know what I mean? I'm just like, cause I feel like sometimes people think, oh, like the ball's going to fly and stuff. I'm like, dude, if you think about it too much and kind of restrict your swing, you're for sure going to miss. So I'm like, I'd rather still have you almost hit it out, but like go for your shot. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of hard to describe it on audio, but, um, but yeah, man, I always show them how to do a two-hander. For those trying to master it, I'll, I'll say this. Honestly, man, just the way I described holding the paddle stuff and then just go for it, you know, practice it. I don't care. Hit on the wall. Like, you'll master it. You just you just got to do it. You just got to put the, the 10,000 hours in. Yeah, great. Getting a little bit, you know, away from coaching, I went back through your tournament history and I saw you played some of your early tournaments with Scott Crandall. Yeah. Who's a senior pro now. Good old Scotty. I call him Uncle Scotty. So how did you guys connect and start playing in tournaments? Oh man. So you want the whole long answer to that? Sure. Let's do it. I'm going to make a short story long. It's going to collide with how I actually even got into pickle. So I've actually picked up a paddle in winter of 2016. So my buddy Mike calls me up and he's like, yo, have you heard of this game pickleball? I'm like, yeah. Like I, you know, same thing. I was like, that's for old people, you know, winky dink. I just seen it on YouTube. I mean, we're talking 2016. This is a while ago. That's a while ago. Yeah. So he invites me and I've told this story before he invites me over to at the time was sports academy it was it wasn't the mamba academy that kobe bought in in thousand oaks so we play on a basketball gym with tape lines you know on a, on a rinky dink i call them covid nets you know that you bought for your driveway yep i don't even have a paddle so i played twice and then um i never played again until i think it was january of 2019 was like my first i guess tournament my same buddy mike he got me to play with him in some tournament in like chatsworth or uh, i'm sorry not chatsworth simi valley at royal middle school so i'm gonna backtrack a little bit but actually it was right around november of 2018 me julio rivera jesse irvine scott crandall we were all playing tennis live ball actually at a private court in brentwood so we were all playing a lot of tennis and at the time we were playing a lot of paddle tennis so we would literally play you know live ball 10 to 12 on saturdays we would like have barbecue after and then we would go play paddle down in Venice. So our buddy, Eric Lee, who actually grew up with Christine McGrath mm -hmm. in the Valley, actually here, he came up to us one day and he's like, dude, I see you guys playing so much paddle. Why don't you guys play this thing called pickleball? He's like, my my buddy Christine plays and she makes a little bit of money doing it. You guys should do it. Like you're both young. So we're like, okay. So we started playing, like I said, this is November, 2018. And then, so it was me, Scott, Jesse, and um, Ryan Treffrey. We were all playing up at Shoot Park when they had a couple pickleball courts and we were playing like in Simi, Chatsworth. I mean, we we're going all over the place. We we're going to a memorial park and then uh scotty and i played our first tournament god what was it god i don't remember do you have the you have the tournament history on there what was our first tournament together it was uh i want to say february of 2019 it was at royal middle school i don't remember what it was called but i'm pretty sure that was our first one okay so we pulled up your tournament history and going back to your first tournament with scott crandall that was february i was right february of uh, 19 you guys played president's cup simi valley president's cup there we go yeah you and scott took gold and uh, 4-5 19 plus dude the good old 4-5 dude we were grinding I think we played like 3-4-5 tournaments but it's funny I jumped right into pro or 5-0 singles I remember at Memorial Park in Santa Monica yeah at Santa Monica same thing 2019 they had a name for it I don't remember but anyways I played 5-0 that tournament won and then the first big tournament I guess you could call it was I played the Bobby Riggs one at 2019 I don't remember what it was called but Ben Tyson all the big guys were there but they didn't play singles <laughs> so i ended up beating dan rodidi i got gold and then the very first pro tournament quote unquote i played was the ppa 2020 
in Mesa, uh, and that was right before the pandemic. And funny story, I've, I've told this many times. I actually, not knowingly, because it was just coming out at the time, if you remember February 2020, masks weren't a thing. People were getting sick, but we didn't know what the coronavirus was. Sure. I actually had COVID, dude, at that tournament, oh, wow. not knowing it. Like, I thought I just had a cold, you know? And, um, dude, I was like pretty sick. Like, Julio has the footage. It's on my Instagram. What do they call it? Not real. The, the highlight. Uh, highlight. If you hear my voice, dude, like, I, I'd lost my voice. I was sick. Kind of crazy. And then when I got home, I was still sick for a few days, but it wasn't anything extreme. I'm not trying to make it seem like it was terrible, but I played the tournament sick. It was just a really, really bad cold. Literally, honestly, to this day, it was the worst cold I ever had. Yeah, COVID early days. Wow. Yeah, and then and then um, I played one more tournament after that. It was uh the one at Lowe's Cab. I forgot what they called it. California Open. California Open, yes. That was the last tournament right before pandemic hit. And then after COVID had happened, Jeffrey Nguyen was running out. It was so funny. This was in the heart of COVID during lockdown. He was running out an Airbnb on every weekend for summer for us to play pickleball at in Tarzana. Wow. Dude, there was a group of us all looking to play. So he kept renting the Airbnb out and it had a tennis court. So we would just use the pickleball court on a tennis court and it had a little clubhouse, like a guest house. So we would all play and dude, because this was pandemic, we had nothing going on. We would literally play. It was like me, Jesse, Scott Crandall, Julio, Jeff, Mark. I mean, we would literally start at like 11 and then finish at like six. Yeah. And then we would also like drink and stuff too because we just, we had nothing going on. Yeah. And Buzz Pickleball is pretty fun. Yeah. So going back to that partnership, how did you and Scott know each other? When I met Julio, like the whole underground tennis movement crew, it was our little live ball crew. We were playing Wednesdays and Saturdays at a private house in uh, Brentwood and Scott and Jesse, Julio were all part of the crew and that's how I met them. And then uh, literally Scotty and I just looked at each other. We're like, hey, let's just do this pickleball thing. Like, you know, fuck it. Why not? And we were good friends and we just started playing. Obviously, once we got good enough to the point, we both knew like we weren't going to keep playing with each other like he was going to play senior pros because he had turned 50 so I totally understood that and then I was kind of like loving the singles grind so I was delving into singles yeah that's how we met and dude Scotty and I go way back I mean he's he's one of my good buddies and Scott knows this I love when he shows up early to tournaments and he comes and watches my singles because you know singles is lonely out there and I go out there alone like unfortunately my girlfriend works full time and my dad doesn't go with me to all the tournaments so a lot of time I'm having to go myself which is fine I'm a big boy but you know, when you're on court 68, you know, by yourself playing your backdrop match to 15, it gets a little lonely, you know, and sometimes people aren't watching. It's literally you and, you know, John Doe on the other side. So I love having him or any supporters kind of come and watch because it, it obviously means a lot to me, but it's nice knowing I kind of have like support and reassurance, you know, and it's not just me out there. Yeah, absolutely. I was looking back that first pro tournament you were in, the doubles results and the partnerships from back then, the gold went to Matt Wright and Ben Johns. <laughs> the silver was Adam Stone and Colin and bronze was Riley Newman and Tyson. That's an interesting set of partnerships. Having gotten to pickleball myself in the spring of 21, those partnerships to me seem crazy. Yeah. What tournament was that? PPA Mesa Grand Slam. 2020. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, that match I played against Ben in singles, I lost to him in the semis is, is on the stream. 
Yeah, dude, that was my first tournament. Actually, I got fourth in singles that one. Yeah, that was that was my singles debut. <laughs> oh yeah, loss uh, in the bronze to to Tyler. Tyler Loon, Yeah, uh, that was a close one. It was like 15, 12 or something. Exactly. Yeah, I remember. I'm, I'm I'm good with dates and numbers. And then yeah, dude. And then after pandemic got somewhat lifted, the first PPA I played back was uh, Newport, and I lost in the finals to Ben. Yeah. And I had some pretty pretty big wins that tournament too. That was a rough day. Let's look at that. Okay, win versus. Nick Garza, win versus Zane, win versus Jay, lost to Tyson, beat Kyle Yates. Then Fad. Yep. And then Tyson withdrew. Tyson withdrew. And, and then, then I played Ben and again. Then ben in the finals, yeah. What was the score? 11, 8, 12, 10? 13, 11. Fuck. Yeah. I dude, I remember I had two or three game points. So, dude, you know what's so funny? I used my buddy's ESPN login. I watched that match against Ben. So much over and over. And I just remember not executing those game points. It hurt because knowing I had Ben on that big of a stage and then I'd miss two pass shots, like it just hurt. Yeah, man. I'm dude, it's funny, like in a weird way, I don't want to like give myself too much props, but it's like I feel like I also don't get respect. I'm dude, I've been doing this for a little while and I've I'm telling you, man, I've I've had some pretty credible wins and I've been doing this for a minute. I mean, you're a seasoned guy out there. I mean, you know, being the part-time pickleballer whatever yeah quote unquote you know when you show up to tournaments i feel like you're a threat and you know you look solid point on that is uh this year because of ace this will actually be my first full-time year of playing pickleball so we'll see what happens so since you brought it up let's talk about ace they signed you in shout out to ace november of last year it was october october yeah we had been talking so kind of little backstory man literally i had gotten uh what i call a dear john from my prior company and just was like we actually we had a deal up until the end of the year and they were just like yeah we're basically reevaluated our budget and we're just gonna let you go it was so funny i i didn't even respond or a trip or anything, but they were like, we'll still send you gear and uh, free shirts and give you a discount code if you want. And I'm just like, uh, I'm good off that. Right. Yeah, man, I was shopping around for a sponsorship. I was talking to a few companies. Thanks to good old social media, literally, it's funny, man. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm so big on like just organic energy and like intuition. I don't know who was running the page for Ace. I'm just going to assume it was Will. Ace Pickleball had been like commenting and showing me love on a couple of my posts that were old, you know? So it was like, it was kind of like, okay, like obviously they're like, someone's interested. You know, it'd be like if a, I know you're married, but it's like if a girl like responds on like six of your old posts from like right. a year ago, you'd be like, oh, someone's like trying to, <laughs> trying to say what's up, you yeah. know, like this was an accidental like or comment. So, um, I literally, uh, DM them and I was like, I like the logo and the, and the paddle looks cool. Like, do you want to send me a demo? You know, because like I said, I was talking to a couple other companies, which I don't want to name. They don't get free clout, but uh, they had sent me some paddles. I, I, you know, customize them, tried them, but it was all talk, no game. You know, I kept hitting these people up, sending them a um, proposal, like, this is what I'm looking for, you know, let's talk. And, you know, radio silence. It's so funny, man. In the midst of Will sending me a paddle, I don't remember the date, I could pull it up, but it was like maybe late September, early October. While the demo's in transit, we literally came to terms and, and signed a deal. So I got the paddle and I was already signed. Nice. Uh, what kind of paddle is it? Is it more power feel? Like, how, how is it? There's going to be a couple models out the one i use is a g14 classified <laughs> uh, which um it, it will be out soon to the public i i don't want to give uh, you know what fuck it i'll just tell you i use it's going to be called the diamond and it's i believe 12 millimeters it's a little thinner and a little grittier but the the one that's on the market right now is called the ace spade it's 16 millimeter it's got great carbon fiber really pockets the ball nicely really plush feel is kind of how i would describe it nice but yeah the diamond 
diamond is is where it's at. That's my singles paddle right there. The 16, I think, is uh like I said, it's very soft, really great feel, especially like on the dinks and, and the drop specifically. It really pockets that ball. Like it almost feels like you have strings. Like that ball feels really dialed in. But honestly, man, for me, once I customize my paddle, like I put a lot of lead on mine. Sometimes I'll put a leather grip on. Like I could almost use a frying pan. Like I just I need my my custom specs. Sure. How heavy are you taking your paddle? I haven't weighed it in a while, but I think last time I weighed one of them was like 10.1 ounces. It's pretty hefty. Yeah. For singles, man, specifically, because, you know, I'm driving a lot of balls, especially like when I'm on the run, like I need that extra umph. I need that pop. I'm sure you've watched my matches. I'm slapping a lot of balls from tough positions and I need that power. I need that pop. I can't use something too light that's a little flimsy just because it won't have that mass behind it. Yeah. But yeah, man, shout out to Ace. Will's my boy. And and one thing, man, like I'm not trying to, you know, th- excuse my language, like I'm not trying to dick ride, but literally, dude, him and I like have a really cool organic relationship and, you know, not to shit on the other company I was with before. I just don't think they knew not only how to like market, but really use me as well, where I feel like we'll literally, I don't want to say the word caters to me, but like, you know, we'll look at flights and stuff together. Like when do you want to get in? When do you want to leave? You know, I got you this spot. You know, you got enough gear. Let me send you this. I'll take care of that. Like he really takes care of me and really alleviates the pressure. You know, to be honest, I fuck with them heavy, dude. That's that's my guy. That's great. And I told him, man, from the day he signed me, I'm trying to start and finish with the same same company. I'm trying to go out like Kobe, stay with the same franchise. Yeah, love that. So can you talk about your deal at all? <laughs> it's a sweet deal, bro. I feel like people probably perceive me as kind of like this part-time, just single specialist, but Will took very good care of me. I'll put it this way, man. He alleviated the pressure where I'm a grinder at heart and I love to work. Like, I just love the hustle. But he took care of me in the sense where like, I actually, I don't need to as much you know? Sure. He took care of me well. That's all I could say, man. Yeah. Good for you. That's great. Without him, obviously I'd still be me and have my skill set, but he's provided me with the opportunity to go out there and play. There's no will then. I don't know if there's, there's a Gabe Joseph playing full-time pickle. And like I said, man, as much as I'm, I'm giving him his props and kudos, this goes back to my point where I could even flip the question on you. Let's just say you're making X amount of dollars and let's just take a number. I don't know. Let's say, let's say you're making 12 K a month at your job and you're me or something like you have you're Gabe Joseph, but you're Josh Walker, right? You have my skill set. Do you take the gamble and say, you know what? I'm going to dedicate myself and play full-time pickle, try to do this as a career, or do I kind of still do my thing at work, make a solid living and still play these tournaments? Right. You know, so it's kind of that catch 22. Yeah. So, and here's, and here's the thing, and I'm not trying to discourage anybody from what they've done. A lot of pros have, in my opinion, like fully delve into the sport and do it and make a living. And that's great. Also to the general public, you have to understand that it's only a few guys really making like serious money. Absolutely. And to your point, to fully dedicate yourself means not working. Exactly. I'm talking training, playing every day. Bro, you're my apartment. This is not cheap. Yeah. You know what I mean? I get you. So it is sort of a privilege to be able to dedicate yourself fully to pickleball because the payouts aren't there yet. I mean, dude, they're not. We want to be completely honest. What I made from the last two tournaments doesn't even pay my car note. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that's kind of the weird little situation I was in. You know, to be completely honest with you, the mindset I was in before I signed with Ace, I was like, until somebody's going to offer me something worthwhile, like, I'm going to keep working and play pro tournaments that are local. Yeah. I personally was not going to be out of pocket. You know, let's take an average tournament. Let's say you're going to, let's say Arizona, right? Your entry fee alone, let's just say you're playing singles is what, 225. You got to get a hotel. I don't know. Let's use a rough number. 150. 
200 bucks. So you're already 450 in the hole. You yeah. got to get Uber or Lyft unless you get a car. I usually always do Lyft or Uber. If you're really modest, let's say you hitch a couple rides. Let's just say airport to the venue and venue to the airport. So two trips, let's say, let's call it another 100 bucks, right? So we're in for what? What is that? 250, 200, so 550. Yep. Plus what did I leave out? Airfare, if you fly or you drive. So let's say you're at another, I just booked the flight the other day. It was almost 300 bucks, even out of Burbank. So we're at 850. Let's say you have a solid day, I guess. Let's just call it fifth place out of PPA. So you make what? 300 bucks, maybe? Let's call it 400. Let's be generous. Hey, 500. You're still out 350. Yeah. Right? At some point, you have to realize, like, does this really make sense? Now, some people play like, oh, it's not about the money. Like, the sport's going to be huge. And I'm all for that. It might be. Or guess what? It might have plateaued. Maybe this the biggest it gets. Who knows? And the other thing is too, man, a lot of these pros are living that road life and, and they're still doing clinics on the road too. Me, I just choose like, I have a nice steady gig. I like my work. I like being close to home. So I figure do my thing and then I can still play these tournaments and travel because of Ace. Yeah. You know, they've provided me with that opportunity and that luxury. And I think we both have a mutual understanding of like, I'm still going to practice and put the hard yards in, you know, don't get, don't get it twisted that like, I'm just working full time and just showing up to tournaments. Like I still put in the hard yards. You know, if I'm being completely honest, I'm not doing it to the extent that these guys are, you know, got personal trainers and are practicing five, six hours a day. Like I'm not doing all that. Right. You know, not saying I don't want to, but it's just, you have to also be realistic. So what does practice, what does rec play look like for you? What does drilling look like for you? You know, the nice part is even with pickle, even if I have some not so great clients, like I'm still out on the court getting some feel. But an example is like, for instance, Connor Garnett, he's a upcoming pro. He lives out in Newport. So he'll come out to me in Calabasas and uh, we play at a private court. So we'll play like four hours. And what we do is we'll play for like two hours. We'll grab some lunch and then come back and play again. And we do that, I would say maybe like two, three times a month, which I know may not sound like a lot, but also I would say for me, I'm not the biggest practice player where like... I love to drill, play, get some feel in, but I'm also not that guy. I don't feel like I need to play five, six days a week because like I said, for me, I feel like practice and tournament play, two different things. Like I literally feel like I'm a different animal on the court at a tournament than I am at practice. You know what I mean? Yep. I know it for a fact because I know this is like so kind of off topic, but like right every day, even when I practice or go to work, like I'm big on breakfast. I love my coffee. I have fruit and bagel. That's like my regiment. It's funny, these last like three tournaments, I've been so like anxious and like jittery. Like I haven't been able to eat before a tournament. So I'm just having coffee and water and then I don't eat actually until after a tournament. But that lets me know like it's a different intensity. Sure. I go out there on the court. I feel pretty good. I'm amped up. It's a completely different atmosphere. But to answer your question, I mean, you know, so a couple times a month with Connor, I'll just squeeze in some practice sessions. I mean, it might even be like with my dad. My dad, I would say is like a four solid four or five player. I'll just work on little things like I'll just have him at the kitchen and I'll just drive a lot of balls. Like I think just getting a nice solid feel for me is what really just like gets me dialed in. Yeah. And you know, the thing is too, man, it all, I think I'm a big advocate. You know, when I have a kid, like I want to play a lot of sports because maybe you can co-sign this. I feel like everything translates. So while I'm teaching pickle, I'm still playing a lot of tennis and I'm fortunate enough. I have a couple like decent juniors I get to play and hit with still that can play play. Yeah. So I still got to go out and like hit a little bit and you know, that keeps me in shape and I still love to play and I love to volley in tennis. Like all that stuff, in my opinion, 
translates over to the pickle court. Yeah, a lot of stuff translates in sports. For example, like what I'm trying to work on with my youngest is is movement. Yeah. So like movement to get a ground ball or movement to get a dink that's out of reach. Because I feed them balls, I'm giving them right to their forehand every time. Yeah. But when they have to take a couple of steps, it's a different thing. When they have to feel the ground ball after taking a few steps, it's different than just bending over. Oh, dude, I'm telling you, bro, get the uh, get the ladder out. Have me doing some steps. I'll look like a spaz out there. I mean. All that stuff correlates and translates like really well. But yeah, man, that's kind of my practice regimen. I mean, people kind of know this. I'm not the biggest like practice guy. For instance, I was just talking to you earlier before we got on the pod. It's like, I know the guys that go out to like Piccadilly, you know, and they're playing like at a Wednesday at 3.30 and I always get the invite to go and I'm just like, bro, like, you know, I'm working, you know, those are my work hours. But yeah, man, I mean, I feel like, I mean, you could tell me firsthand, I feel like I've been able to sustain a good level and be a quote unquote, I guess, I don't know, top, a good pro you know doing my thing so i i I stick with what works you know i was gonna get into this later but i mean you had some great wins so far this year i mean you've beaten julian hayden i mean you had j-dub oh did you watch that match yeah oh man and you looked really good you look fit i think i was the better player but it doesn't matter because i didn't win (sighs) yeah you look real fit how does your game feel like right now man honestly i've been feeling pretty good it's funny you brought up because actually i just played some so i've been wanting to practice a little more it's so funny now that we're just talking about this. So yesterday I had a three hour gap um, from work and a typical work day for me, you know, not to get too sidetracked would be like, let's just say eight to 11 and then like 11 to one, I'll have lunch. And then I come back to the court like one thirty to seven or like six, you know, that would be like an average work day. So like eight hour, nine hour days, but spread out. So Connor hit me up the other day and was like, bro, like you want to play some before the tournament next week? Can you play like Thursday or Sunday? I'm like, yeah, bro, let's get out Thursday. I have like a three hour gap. So he drove out. We played like a solid two and a half hours, got some practice in. And I got to admit, like, I'm I'm feeling pretty good. Back to my point earlier, man, like I've also played so many matches already. I think I've played 14 and that's only because of backdrop stuff, but it's a lot of matches. Like I said, I think last year you might have the number. I think I only played like 12 or 13 tournaments and just this past month alone, I played I played one in January and then I'll be two in February. So I've had a lot of reps in. So to answer your question, I feel good. The fitness for me is always going to be there. I think I eat pretty clean. I'm like I said, I'm on the court in the sun playing, you know, training all day. So I don't think that'll ever be an issue. Are you doing any you know, weights or any other gym type workouts. <laughs> By the look of me, do you think so? <laughs> I know I'm a skinny dude, but, but, but dude, you're to, quick, you know, I'm like, quick. no, dude, to answer your question, no, I'll be very honest with you. I don't like lifting weights. I, I'm not a fan of the gym. I'll, I'll put it this way. Get me on a treadmill, a bike. I'll do four hours of that. If you want me to lift and stuff for like an hour, I'm just like, I hate it. And I'm one of those guys. I'm very easy going, go with the flow. I just, I don't find enjoyment in it. Yeah. It's not even punishment. Like I just don't like it, but I'll do it though. So um, you live in LA. We had that two weeks of crazy rain. I was like, hey, we just moved in this apartment. Let me use my amenities that I pay for. So I went downstairs, hit the gym a couple times. Honestly, man, it's like everyone's New Year's resolution. It just for me doesn't last. Any doubles in your future? You know, how do you see yourself as a doubles player? You know, talk a little bit about the differences in your game or in general between the two. You know, the dubs... I like dubs. 
I, I wouldn't say like I'm in love with it. For me to play dubs, and this is, once again, I love Will from Ace because he, we kind of both have a mutual understanding that like, hey, you're the singles guy and he hasn't put any pressure on me to play dubs. Obviously he wants me to, but also, and I could ask you this question, I don't want to be the guy who just participates in doubles just to do it. You know, I don't want to be the guy who goes two and two or oh and two and just kind of be like, hey guys, like I'm here, I play. Yes, that gives you some notoriety. And to be honest, this is a separate tangent. I feel like that's why I didn't get drafted for MLP because I'm not a doubles guy, but that doesn't mean I can't play doubles. Right. So that's the thing, man. And like I said, chances are, and I'm not saying because I'm not a good enough player, there's probably going to be no payday for me in doubles. So really it's like, it's a participation at the end of the day. And I just don't know if I want to hang around at a venue, you know, because you got to remember singles is Thursday, mixed is Friday, Saturday is doubles. You know, that means another extra day or two. And it's like, I don't really know if I want to do it just to hang around and play. And I know I'm probably sounding so snobby, but I'm just being honest with you. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's logical. And I'm trying to be logical. And, and, and I even told Will before he signed me, I'm like, bro, like I also don't want to waste your time and money just to play doubles, just to do it. You know, I was like, I mean, upfront with him. I think for me to do well in doubles, I would need someone who's a little better than me, you know? And also you got to find someone you mesh with. I think that's big for me. I don't want someone who's like quiet, not communicative. Is that, that's a word? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I want someone high energy, like into it, you know, kind of dialed in. And also, dude, I don't want to just partner hop either. You know, some of these guys are kind of crazy in my opinion. They lock in partners for a year or two. I'm like, God damn. And then some of these guys, like you see them, they're playing with a new person every time. And I'm just like, ah, I don't know if I can do that. How do pro partnerships come about? I don't know because I don't get those calls. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, man. I mean, it's super easy, man. That's the thing about Pickle, dude. You know, some of these guys try to, I would say, take themselves a little too serious and treat themselves a little bit higher than what they are. But bro, we're all so accessible. Probably a text. Hey, you know, like what's your season looking look like? Are you, are you locked in with somebody? Yeah. You know, I've talked to a few guys about potentially doing something. Doubles will be in the works. I'll put it that way. It's definitely not set in stone that I'm not going to play. You know, we'll get out there. You and Connor, maybe. That's That's been a talk. We might get one in. He's got a, he's got a sick backhand too. He's got a very sick backhand and he's quick and athletic. But yeah, man, it, it'll come. I just love singles, man. It's such a different atmosphere. It's a grind. And, and personally, I don't know about viewing viewership, like whether you prefer to watch singles or doubles. In my opinion, and I've said this before, I'm not going to say singles takes more skill, but I think it's a different game. You know, and I always tell everybody, everyone who plays singles can play doubles, but not everybody who plays doubles can play singles. Yeah, agreed. Totally different strategies in each, right? You know, I keep it very simple. I call it pass and pray and then chip and defend. Kind of even like doubles. I feel like pickle in general is a little one dimensional. You know, obviously there's nuances and there's strategy. But for singles, since you asked me, I feel like it's pretty one dimensional in the sense that, you know, if you and I are playing, for example, server wants to go for a big serve. And depending on the quality of the return, he's looking for a pass or a drop and get in and play cat and mouse. I mean, I don't think there's really too much to it. Yeah, and the pray, what's that? <laughs> I mean, praying as in like, you know, please go in. I'm like jokingly. Gotcha. You know, like you hit a, you hit like a slap drive. You're like, oh, please go in, got you it, know? Like you've ever hit that winner up the line and you're just like, oh God, I hope it goes in. Like, that's what I kind of mean. <laughs> I call it pass and pray. Because <laughs> sometimes when I'm playing with my real good singles friends, I'm praying, I'm guessing, you know, which way they're going to pass. So I'm praying I get it right. It's a lot of net coverage, big court to cover. I mean, I know it looks tiny court, but it's a lot of court to cover. But yeah, man, and honestly, I think singles doesn't get the love it deserves. Yeah, I like watching singles. It, you know, it's more comparable to tennis for the viewer. And tennis, I think, is a much, you know, higher rated sport. A lot of people who don't play tennis watch tennis. Yeah. But I don't feel like that's the same with pickleball. So I think singles could use a little more love. I just think that, you know, and I, I've said this on my podcast as well, like, 
honestly, I think for the average viewer, someone who doesn't play pickleball, I think singles is is kind of the way to go. And I know I might sound a little biased, but I think the scoring's easier, the format's easier, and it's a little easier to comprehend. Whereas doubles, it like I said, it's kind of four people dinking a ball. And you and I know the skill of what it takes. And these are good quality shots. But something to the average person, it looks like kind of four people just like kind of ping ponging a ball back and forth, like winky dang. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And then like you got the zero zero two, like who's first server? Why are they switching sides? Why is the server standing on the same side as his partner? You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know if it'll ever get to that point, unfortunately. You know, sadly, I guess it's it's cost me probably an MLP spot. Hopefully I get drafted the next go around. Yeah, it just is what it is. I honestly, man, I, I don't know why doubles gets as much love as it does because I honestly, even I find it boring. And I'm not trying to sound biased. Like I'll sometimes peep the YouTube stream and I'll honestly, I'll watch like three, four points and I'm kind of like, all right, it's a little, it's a little boring, yeah. you know? Cause especially at the pro level, like I said, it becomes very one dimensional where it's serve, return, two people to the kitchen, drop, get to the kitchen, dink. And then hand battle, who's gonna speed it up? You know, second server, same point. It's the same thing every time. Yeah, you know? I see that. One other thing I want to talk about would be like a pro experience at a tournament. Okay. Is there support for you guys? Are there trainers? Are there security? How are you guys being supported on tour? Yeah. So, you know, when I pull up to the airport, there's usually like three bodyguards waiting with the Escalade by me. And they greet me with, hi, Mr. Joseph. Like, we're here to take you to the tournament. And it's a blacked out bulletproof. Catch the rest of that story and much more in part two next week. Thanks for listening.